0: Yeah. This is the Rich Eisen Show. Goats have home lives, too. Live from the Rich Eisen Show studio in Los Angeles. Rich Eisen. Hello, Rich Eisen. Rich Eisen. Oh, that's Susie eisen Huston. <laughs> <laughs> the Rich Eisen Show. And now, sitting in for Rich, here's Brian Weber.
1: Welcome to the program, great to be sitting in for Rich on this New Year's Eve final edition of the show for the year. We are in a festive mood, we're going to have a great time talking football with you, getting you fully lined up for a massive NFL Sunday and the national semifinals coming up later today in college football. In fact, let's make it official, let me lean over, hit this button, the countdown to kickoff is underway. For the first of two national semifinals, coming up at 3.30 Eastern, Cincinnati and Alabama, followed by Georgia and Michigan. Hopefully by now, if you've heard me on many versions of the Brian Weber Show, which have been canceled on several different national networks, or filling in for Rich, this is day three of the extravaganza, you get a sense of my approach. I never overwhelm you with guests. We'll stick with a winning formula, just one per hour. In 20 minutes, we'll expand the conversation, talk NFL with Eric Edom of Yahoo Sports. Coming up in hour number two, we'll go in-depth on the national semifinals, final four of college football when we say hello to Andy Staples of The Athletic. More NFL conversation in the last hour of the show. We'll check in with a good friend of mine, Nick Ferguson, the former NFL safety. So there are opportunities for you to get involved with the program. The goal is to be interactive. The phone number one 204 rich 844 204 rich You can always hit me up on Twitter. That's BW Weber Weberwood2Bs. Your last opportunity to have your voice heard this year. And hopefully I've not destroyed the program. And it could lead to other opportunities as now I'm politicking on the air as a desperate fill-in host. But maybe there will be a day when Rich is not available. And because I'm here in Southern California, maybe you'll see my smiling face wearing way too much makeup on the simulcast. Probably won't happen because I'll be so excited to see my guy, Del Tufo. And I'll be yelling even more than I normally do. But should that day occur? The issue for me will be, how do I lay out all my paperwork? That's always the trouble when I'm on television, and I understand it's a medium driven by optics. Everything has to look clean and tidy. So, for example, I have several piles in front of me. Now, I know where everything is, and there's a science behind what appears to be random placement. But I had a quality monologue about the national semifinals in college football, all mapped out. We'll get there. I'm not going to let this content not be used. It's my last show of the year, after all. And it certainly is fitting, given all that's on the line, when Cincinnati is trying to prove not only they belong, but the entire group of five should have more opportunities on a national stage like this against mighty Alabama. But less than an hour ago, as I was Just perusing the internet, making sure I wasn't going to miss anything. While it's a holiday for most of you, it's a vitally important time, specifically in the NFL. So the news broke about an hour ago. As I was going through Twitter, I saw the tweet from Adam Schefter that, according to his sources, and then 15 minutes later, it was confirmed by the Minnesota Vikings, Kirk Cousins not going to play in the Sunday night game, which is Hugely important for the seven and eight Vikings against the 12 and three Packers. So, no Kirk Cousins, he's on the COVID reserve list. And Schefter put parenthetically, after he had the breaking news in the second sentence of his tweet, as an unvaccinated player, dot, 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 Cousins ineligible to play. So, here we are again. And this is not about my work schedule throughout the holidays. But I was on the air in this time slot on Tuesday when the Carson Wentz news broke. And that story evolved over the course of a handful of hours. We went from the general consensus when we got the news that Wentz was on that same COVID reserve list that Cousins has landed on today. The thought process was on Tuesday, well, Wentz not vaccinated. He can't play on Sunday. And, man, what a dynamic, changing news event that was for the Colts trying to enhance their wildcard possibilities, taking on the Raiders in a critical game on Sunday. But within the span of just a couple hours, we learned that the league had modified its COVID protocol, negotiating with the union Getting buy-in from the NFLPA following the guidance of the CDC to knock the isolation period for someone testing positive who's unvaccinated from the 10 days we had all come to know down to five days. And that created the possibility, and we'll still have to wait until game time. You talk about your quintessential game time decision. We won't know until Sunday if Wentz can come off that list, be cleared to play. If not... Sam Ellinger will be under center, handing the football off to Jonathan Taylor over and over and over again, as Wentz has done very successfully as well. But that's the Wentz situation with everything crystallizing on timing because we don't know all the details of when Wentz tested positive. Still the possibility he could play on Sunday. But that was then. This is now. And it's Brian Weber in for Rich Friday edition of the Rich Eisen Show. You can hop aboard at one 204 rich Twitter's always your best bet. That's B.W. Weber. Weber with two Bs in 15 minutes. We expand the conversation, taking you across the NFL with Eric Edom of Yahoo Sports. Given where we are today, on a Friday, there is no chance for Kirk Cousins to be available on Sunday. And then over the last 60 minutes, just prior to coming on the air... Twitter was abuzz with what are the Vikings going to do at the quarterback position? Because prior to about 20 minutes ago, the status of backup, Sean Mannion, was unclear because he had tested positive on Sunday, had to be cleared today, and got the good news. I'm not going to say the positive outcome. I'll say good and negative to try to keep it more straightforward. He got the good news that he has been cleared. So we're not looking at a rookie like Kellen Mond, at least it's somebody who has reps in the NFL and Sean Mannion, former backup of the LA Rams, had a great career at Oregon State, but Sean Mannion is not the topic. It's all about Kirk Cousins. So I don't want to do vaccination radio. You come to a sports show, especially a show like Rich's, which normally incorporates not only sports, but a lot of entertainment. You want to be entertained. You want levity. I think most of us want a distraction from our daily lives, specifically laboring through another tough winter in the midst of a global pandemic. So I am not doing vaccine radio. However, I would be abdicating my job responsibilities if I didn't point out your best ability is availability. And however you see the vaccine, I will be judgmental and say, if you're not buying the science, that's a you problem. You're being myopic, and you're also putting other people at risk. 15-second commentary. Back to sports. If you were lucky enough to be one of 32 starting quarterbacks in the NFL, wouldn't you do everything in your power to be available on game days? including getting vaccinated. But we've had this conversation before. We went through it with Aaron Rodgers. We spent the majority of Tuesday prior to the evolution of the NFL's isolation guidelines from the CDC, talking about Carson Wentz. And now we're having the Kirk Cousins conversation because I can't put out of my mind the quote that he dropped on a podcast this summer when asked about COVID and how he was approaching it. And that's how we started to get a general idea well cousins has not gone on the record with his vaccination status when he said quote if i die i die that's hard to forget and i know what he was trying to say i'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt saying i have to live my life i get it but that seemed so cavalier so dismissive and back to the notion that we ascribe leadership qualities to a quarterback with all of the cliches, it's a field general on the gridiron, but you have to have buy-in from your teammates. Well, if they don't know that you're going to be available, there's that word again, in a massively important game, have you done your job as a leader? So here's Cousins. Now, if you want to get back to the idea that we're having fun, He's going to avoid the possibility of losing again in primetime, right? I guess that's a good takeaway because we know he is Mr. Sunday night, Mr. Monday night, Mr. Thursday night. But when you think about the head-to-head, Cousins actually had a very good game the last time Minnesota played the Packers in that wildly entertaining game in Minneapolis. And Minnesota came up with a victory that they absolutely needed still at 7-8. and eight fighting for their playoff lives, they will not have a man they have paid boatloads of cash to. And that's really the issue when it comes down to Kirk Cousins. Now, I'm not going to count anyone's money, and we live in a society that says get all you can. And I'm fully on board with capitalism here as we get deep as a fill-in host on New Year's Eve. Kirk Cousins belongs in the financial Hall of Fame. Now, I got a lot of help from the mismanagement of the Washington football team butchering that situation with the franchise tag back-to-back years. Then he hit the marketplace at the right time, lean year for starting quarterback options, and he had leverage because the Jets don't know what they're doing. I think we've established that for, oh, I don't know, the last 52 years going back to Joe Willie Namath and Super Bowl three. But because the Jets were in a bidding war with the Vikings, Cousins and his agent was able to pull off a historic magic trick. He got his contract fully guaranteed. Say that again slowly. Fully guaranteed. Every dollar guaranteed. That almost never happens in the NFL. It happens in the NBA. Happens in baseball because they have much more vibrant unions and they do better in their negotiations so cousins is tremendous in making sure the direct deposit hits or he gets the game check every week and if you're not paying attention although if you're a viking fan i'm sure you're well aware of this next year's contract has already vested fully guaranteed money coming next year so the vikings now Go into a game they absolutely have to have. Sean Mannion is decent. I'll give you some West Coast bias. I'm here in Southern California. One of my other jobs is calling play by play for Pac 12 networks. Went to a couple Pac 12 universities as an undergrad and grad. So I know the Conference of Champions very well. Sean Mannion was terrific at Oregon State. Is that going to enable him to outduel Aaron Rodgers head to head? No. But he could take the field with some confidence. He got a limited playing time with the Rams. So if you have to move beyond Cousins, at least you have a player who's been on the field in Mannion as opposed to, say, rookie Kellen Mond. But here's Minnesota, a team that has underachieved when you look at the overall talent level on both sides of the football, not just this year, but over the last four or five years. Let's just knock it down to four years and assume Minnesota does not make the playoffs again this year. If they fail to advance to the postseason, that'll be missing the playoffs for the third time in four years. Well, who's going to pay the price? Not Kirk Cousins, because that money is fully guaranteed. Probably Mike Zimmer. And it's unfair, and coaches like quarterbacks get too much credit and also too much accountability but if you're the Will family owning the Vikings, something's got to change. You've been stuck in neutral for far too long or the missed opportunities back in the Case Keenum era. Remember that? A team that had a brilliant playoff run and then Case Keenum woke up in the postseason on the road to Philadelphia and remembered, I'm Case Keenum. I'm a turnover machine. And melted down in that playoff game against the Eagles as part of that brilliant run put together by Nick Foles in the Philly special year. So there's a lot to dissect when it comes to Minnesota. In the short term, more good news for the Packers trying to enhance their possibility of locking up the top seat. I think they're going to need it. Because coming up, we're going to talk about the teams with real chances to make it to the postseason. And I have Dallas... I know you want my power rankings. Maybe I'll lay them out tonight about 11 o'clock on New Year's Eve. I'll get a lot of traction on Twitter. But giving this a lot of thought and watching games and spending my entire Sunday ensconced in front of the Red Zone channel, and maybe I'm being prisoner of the moment based on that magnificent defensive performance on Sunday Night Football, I'll take Dallas's defense as the most impactful unit on either side of the football in the entire league. So for Green Bay to have the possibility of taking another step forward and locking up the top seed, remember, in the new format, just one buy per conference. Think about the ripple effect of Kirk Cousins being unavailable on that COVID reserve list potentially could cost Mike Zimmerer's job, could lead to Green Bay enhancing the probability they're going to be the top seed and the road to the Super Bowl and the NFC coming through Lambeau Field. Man, just when you think you have a handle on things in the NFL, the league remains in constant motion. I'm Brian Weber, in for Rich Eisen. we got a ton of content to get into. Our remaining two hours and 45 minutes. Essentially, i got five hours of show I try to cram into a three-hour bag. But I'll always carve out time to... Talk to you. It's one rich Candidly, Twitter is your best bet. That wonderfully crafted monologue about college football will come your way in 25 minutes. I had to call the Audible. So we'll get to college football before we wrap up this hour of the program. Straight ahead, much more NFL conversation. Should Mike Zimmer be looking over his shoulder? We'll talk about other coaches in trouble as we get closer to black money in the NFL. Plus, I mentioned it, so I want validation from the guests. Will Dallas' steely defense mean doomsday for their playoff competition? Looking forward to an NFL conversation with Eric Edom of Yahoo Sports. Just getting warmed up on a jam-packed Friday. I'm Brian Weber having a great time with you in for Rich on the Rich Eisen Show. Brian Weber back with you in for Rich. It's the Rich Eisen Show on this New Year's Eve. 1 844 204. Rich is our phone number. Conversation never stops on Twitter. That's BW Weber, Weber with two B's in 20 minutes. We'll make the move to college football, get you set for the national semifinals. Well, let's keep the NFL momentum going with one of the best in the business. It's Eric Edom of Yahoo Sports. Eric, I appreciate you taking the time. How are you? I'm doing well and uh, happy new year for a few hours down the road. Thanks very much, my So we're all scrambling these days based on the ever-changing COVID protocols in the NFL and Seems like every day there's more breaking news. So within the last 90 minutes, we found out Kirk Cousins will not be available. He's on that COVID reserve list in advance of the Sunday night game between Minnesota and Green Bay. So down to Sean Mannion, and they were fortunate that he was cleared to play. Otherwise, we were looking at a rookie like Helen Mond. But if we have Sean Mannion on the road for a 7-8 football team at Green Bay, clinging to their faint wild card possibilities let's say the vikes don't make the postseason that'd be the third time they've missed in the last four years is there a real possibility that's going to cost mike zimmer his job
2: it's it's possible right i mean it feels like he's obviously sort of been you know hanging by a thread for a little while and i know he got the extension not uh terribly long ago but you know i mean it it always sort of felt like he's you know, right there on the cost. And I guess we have to ask too. I mean, does this does this affect the future of of uh, Kirk Cousins in Minnesota? I mean, you know, they've been about a 500 team since he's been the starter. Um, I felt like you know the, the the move at the time was a worthy gamble. Right, those opportunities don't come along very often. He'd had some strong mom, you know moments in Washington, and so you understood why the Vikings might do such a thing. And he's you know in some ways been an above average quarterback in a lot of respects, but you know, you wonder if they feel like they've reached their limit with either with Zimmer or with Cousins or possibly with both. So, you know, you, you don't have the instinct necessarily to blow up a, a situation for a team that's, you know, kind of always hovering around that, that, uh, that 500 mark or vying for the playoffs or in, in the mix until late in the season. But, you know, if they've done the same thing over and over again, the last several years and had similar results, they they might have the inclination to do that. We'll see what you know what ownership and Rick Spielman have uh, have planned. But uh, well, you cannot rule it out, I don't think.
1: Talking NFL with Eric Adam of Yahoo Sports. Well, since we're looking ahead to the future of a quarterback and a head coach in Minnesota, let's do the same thing in Seattle. We had the interesting quote unsolicited from Russell Wilson yesterday saying, I hope it's not my last game getting ready to take on the Lions, but there is a possibility if Russ is traded in the offseason. Sunday's the last time we see him in Seattle, in a Seahawk uniform. So if we have Russ on the record, why don't we get down the rabbit hole about Pete Carroll as well? If we're just yeah. trying to come up with likely scenarios, Eric, is there a real chance we don't see Russell Wilson or Pete Carroll connected to Seattle next year?
2: Yeah, I heard someone in the league uh, about about a month ago just sort of sort of casually dropped the idea of maybe this is Pete's last year. And I hadn't even thought about it, to be honest. I just sort of thought, you know, he's got all the youthful energy in the world at the time. They were still, you know, kind of clinging on to, you know, a contention, I guess, uh, you know, I mean, had some work to do, but and obviously things have gone the wrong direction since then. They're five and 10, but, you know, I I hadn't really considered the possibility of Pete walking away. And, And it may be one of those things where they decide, Hey, you know, we can get a boatload for Russell. Yes. We need to get a a quarterback in return, or at least the ammunition that helps us get one. And they don't have a first round pick this year. So, you know, whatever they get is helping kind of, you know, plug a hole in the dike, so to speak. So, you know, I don't know that Pete would necessarily want to be part of a rebuild or, or have a, a young quarterback. I know he did it a decade ago with Russell, but still different situation. That was a team on the rise. That was a team kind of coming up from the ground. And, you know, this is one that has kind of become accustomed to to contending, at least uh up until the second half of last season. So yeah, it, it really is tough to project what might happen. I, I guess if you if you think that the trend has been Aaron Rodgers staying in Green Bay is more likely now than it was a month ago or six months ago, whatever it may be, you know, the price of Russell may go up, you know, because he would be the most established veteran quarterback potentially available on the market next year. I would think that increases the likelihood of of him being moved for the right deal, right. For the right uh, return uh, on their investment. So if that happens, I kind of wonder what the next step is, or does Pete proactively say, all right, you know, I'm, I'm going to, I'm out of here, you know, or what have you. So that that's another fascinating domino that really could affect a, a lot of different, teams and obviously would would add a, a coaching vacancy that we may not expect right now so yeah that, that's one that you absolutely have to watch and russell up until the last couple of years has really kind of closely guarded his comments but now it feels like you know he's he's loosening the microphone cord a little bit and getting a little <laughs> uh, you know uh, a little more uh, free on stage so to
1: speak Maybe learning it from his wife, Sierra. He's freestyling out there. (laughs) Eric Edom, Yahoo Sports, is our guest here on the Rich Eisen Show. Eric, you're based in Chicago. I'll offer the dreaded two-part question, but you're nimble. You can handle it. (laughs) Is it a foregone conclusion? Matt Nagy's going to lose his job at the end of the season. And what do you make of the rumor and innuendo the Bears might make a run at Sean Payton? He's the white whale in Illinois, right?
2: He is, right. You know, played at Eastern Illinois and, uh, you know, had a, a cup of coffee with the Bears during the strike season of 1987. And, uh, you know, there's there's always been that kind of subtle tie between the, the, two, uh, uh, the two sides. They faced off in, in Payton's first uh, NFC Championship game back in 2006. I remember – You know, it's going back a ways, but he had a lot to say uh, positive about the Bears franchise. So, you know, the connections are obviously there. And if the Bears are going to move on from Nagy, you know, it it makes sense for them to want to go as big as possible, maybe offer things that other teams won't be willing to do, say over personnel or something. He's worked with Ryan Pace before, too. So if they're in, you know, Pace came from New Orleans. So, you know, if those two feel like they have a good connection and could make it work, you know, that's another layer to the equation there. I mean, I think we're in basically the same position, technically worse, but the same dilemma that the Bears were in at this point last year. They kind of backed their way into the playoffs. It required, you know, three or four things happening in Week 17 for them to get that playoff spot who they faced, the Saints, coincidentally. But, and they had no chance in that game really, even with the drop touchdown. I mean, it was, you know, it was pretty much a foregone conclusion. The Saints were a better team at that point. So, you know, had Nagy not made the playoffs last year, maybe they were ready to move on. But now they've kicked the can down the road. One year later, we're in the same spot. Now they have to decide do we keep this guy or do we move on? I suspect it's probably more likely he's gone. I'm a little bit surprised they didn't invoke the, you know, the new rule allowing uh, teams to kind of get a head start mm-hmm. on their interviews in week 17 and 18. You know, but maybe the, the dramatic win up in Seattle. You know, they just sort of felt like we've had this streak of 100 years of never firing a coach in season. You know, that's important to us, tradition, right, and respect and all that. Matt's been a good ambassador, you know, for the team, even though the winning is, is tailed off. Perhaps that was the reason, but, you know, unless they know exactly who they want to get, maybe it's Peyton, maybe it's not, uh, if they knew they were going to get rid of Matt Nagy, there was no reason for them not to have let him go on Monday. And, again, it's it's a tough business, but – it's business. You gotta, you have to give yourself every edge and every advantage as possible. So, I suppose there is a sliver of a chance that he's back. I just don't think it's going to happen.
1: Let's move to some of the stellar games coming up on Sunday. Kansas City red right out and rolling on the road in Cincinnati, and Joe Burrow with a historic performance in that beatdown against a battered Baltimore team with a ton of injuries on both sides of the football. Eric, irrespective of the Bengals' ability to win that game, as we broaden the focus, if Kansas City's clearly the best team in that conference, who do you think is the second best team in the AFC? Who could give them trouble going to Arrowhead Stadium as the road team in the AFC title game?
2: Yeah, it's a great question too, and I think that's kind of how you know you have to frame it right now, given that Kansas City has you know gotten back into that 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 true form that we expected at the start of the season, and and. You know, Tennessee's obviously had their ups and downs. They have the second-best record even without Derrick Henry, and maybe Henry's available for the playoffs. We haven't really, you know, gotten some clarity on that. They have to throw them in the mix. You know, I'll have a lot better idea after Sunday how the two teams fare against each other, but Cincinnati obviously has the offensive firepower uh, and enough playmaking, I think, on the defensive side to, to hang with a team like that. Buffalo certainly has gotten back on track and played You know, I mean, the the win over New England was the kind of signature victory. I think they felt like they needed so badly, not just for division implications, but within the locker room, reminding those guys, hey, we can play. We can hang with anybody. We beat Kansas City in Kansas City earlier this year. So I think you have to throw them in the mix. You know, the Colts and Patriots are those two teams that if the game script goes their way, no penalties, you know, limit the turnovers, play good red zone defense, you know, could they? Sure. I mean, obviously, Bill Belichick's seen enough of Patrick Mahomes to know how to, to defend him properly. They've got a great secondary, but, you know, they're obviously training in the wrong direction. And, and Indy, you wonder, does Carson Wentz have enough in him to make some plays when it, when it comes down to that third and eight in the fourth quarter and it's a one-score game? That's the biggest question I probably have with them because – They're healthy. You know, defensively, they swarm. Offensively, they've got the blocking and the running ability, and they've got some playmakers at receiver, and that's that's a decent formula. And I love what Frank Reich's done there this year. I just don't know if it's quite enough.
1: Taking across the NFL with Eric Edom of Yahoo Sports, finally. And you spend a great deal of time and you do terrific work connected to the NFL draft. This is a national show. We have fans around the country that love teams that will not be going to the playoffs, already thinking about what could happen in April. And because we're obsessed with the quarterback position, we know how much quality there was under center, especially in the first round of last year's draft. Eric, how big of a disparity and a drop-off is there this year? Who are the marquee quarterbacks that casual fans should be aware of?
2: And especially when you consider how largely the quarterback, the rookie quarterbacks have struggled. Mm-hmm. Jack Jones has had some moments, and Davis Mills has been nice in the last uh, you know, handful of games. There's promise with Justin Fields. Obviously, we'll see Trey Lance this weekend. Trevor Lawrence has been a disappointment. Zach Wilson's been up and down. You know, if we start from that point, and how highly we consider that that quintet or maybe a sextet if you throw Mills in there, uh, you know, this year's crop, the, the feeling around the scouting community is that it's a, it's a full layer down. Right. And yeah, you know, Matt Corral or Kenny Pickett, or, you know, maybe Sam Howell ends up as, as, as top 20 picks, but apples to apples, I don't think you'd say that. I don't know that any of those guys would rank ahead of a Mac Jones or a Justin Fields, would they crack the top five quarterbacks from last year? Had they been in, in last year's class? I haven't found anybody to say definitively. Yes. So if, if that's the case, our expectations need to be lowered, even though a guy like Pickett has stepped up really well and, and corral some, some intriguing upside. I just think that we're going to have to kick the tires on the veteran options before we really fall back and see, who might be willing to, or who might be able to step in as a starter as a rookie next year? It may not be a long list.
1: Eric, great information as always. I really appreciate your availability throughout the holidays. Enjoy the sure. games this weekend, and have a happy new year. Look forward to chatting with you next year.
2: Let's have a better 2022. What do you say? All man? right, let,
1: let's make that our pledge. <laughs> Thank you, Eric. Thank you, Eric Adam, Yahoo Sports. Excellent guest, even better writer. That's his trade, after all, and. Because the draft has become this Goliath on a big word Friday. It's just a giant beast, and people can't get enough of draft analysis. We're not even done with the year, but I wanted to throw the red meat out there because your Jacksonville Jaguars are on the clock. If things stay where they are, 2-13 and 13 Jacksonville. Projected to have the number one overall pick for the second consecutive year because the Lions, in a very lion fashion, had that tie against the Steelers. So I'll drop the Lions down to the second overall pick. It is amazing, though, when you just think about all of the parity across the NFL and just about every year somebody goes from worst to first. And how about the rebuild that is still continuing for a Cincinnati team? that has the opportunity to wrap up the division title. And who did I just mention at the bottom one more time? Jacksonville and Detroit. Some things don't change in the NFL. Coming up in the next hour of the program, it's not just good radio, it's the law. I'll give you some of my sports predictions for 2022. One of them involves Urban Meyer. There's your Jacksonville, although it was brief, a Jacksonville connection. Hang with me for that. In our immediate future... We're going to hit college football hard because we're getting closer to the first of two national semifinals coming up at 3.30 Eastern. Cincinnati, a two-touchdown underdog against Alabama, followed by Georgia, about a 7.5-point favorite over Michigan. We will break down the games in detail, starting our number two of the show in just under 25 minutes. Looking forward to our conversation with Andy Staples of The Athletic. I'll get you ready for that chat coming up. If TV ratings spell interest, right? Ratings are good, we're interested. Ratings are bad, eh, I can take it or leave it. What are the ratings for these national semifinals going to be like, given it is New Year's Eve? How are you going to balance your passion to watch college football with what's really important for many of you? You got to party. You got to get your drink on. It is New Year's Eve after all. I am very sober, as always. I am dedicated to a high-quality program. A lot more to get to. Brian Weber having a great time on this New Year's Eve. In for Rich Eisen. This is The Rich Eisen Show. Brian Weber in for Rich Eisen. Final program of the year on the Rich Eisen Show. Rich and the guys back with you on Monday with all the fallout from a monumental Sunday in the National Football League. And by now, as a regular listener to the Rich Eisen Show, you know that Rich is a proud alumnus of the University of Michigan. So Rich will devote, I'm sure, a lot of time to whatever happens tonight in the Orange Bowl that's Georgia against Michigan. I'm going to tackle college football here. We'll keep it going to start the second hour of the program. Andy Staples is always an entertaining guest, longtime writer for Sports Illustrated, now working for The Athletic. and also catch him out on Sirius XM Radio, wherever you might be listening to our program. That's the beauty of satellite radio, too. It has that global reach. As I think about... Perhaps a lack of buzz surrounding these games, although I think a lot of where you stand on issues in sports comes down to where you sit. So in terms of geography, I'm here in Southern California, not as much hype around the Rose Bowl. Ohio State fans, I think, have fatigue after going to so many college football playoff games. And in no way should that diminish the Rose Bowl. And if you care about just sitting down in front of your TV and enjoying the optics of, say, the sunset in Pasadena as you're freezing your us off in Iowa, forecast is improving. we had a lot of rain here in L.A., but some sunshine today. So as a viewer, if you just want that normal January 1st experience with the beautiful sun, Dipping over the mountains and a full house in Pasadena. You're probably going to get that, but it's Utah and I'm not taking any shots at Utah. And what a monumental achievement is for that program to finally break through and play in the New Year's Day game inside the Rose Bowl for the first time. But not the same traditional hype as you might get, say, if it was USC versus Ohio State in terms of the actual semifinals just going through the secondary market. You can get into these games pretty cheaply, and if you want to do it the most cost-effective way, just watch them on TV. But the concern will be, given the early start times and given the fact it is New Year's Eve, after all, I just spent a couple minutes looking up the ratings the last time the semifinals were played on New Year's Eve. Both games were down about 33%. And since we know... That we love Cinderella in college basketball to an extent. We can't get enough of the early upsets. But if you have George Mason, for example, going all the way to the Final Four, the ratings tanked. And the same thing, I think, is going to happen when we get to the first game for two reasons. 3.30 Eastern is early, especially on the West Coast, and then... There's a large segment of casual fans who don't know anything about Cincinnati, and unless they want to buy into the Rudy underdog, oh my goodness, guys we don't know are going to take down Alabama, I don't think most casual fans can name one player on the Cincinnati roster. If we're going to expand our focus beyond Bryce Young, you probably know him. You should. He won the Heisman as a sophomore. If we did the inch to poll or if we could connect with you and just do an unscientific sampling, I don't think a lot of casual fans could name the other three quarterbacks playing in these national semifinals. So that's another issue. But I think the Cincinnati participation, while I am very happy that we're seeing a different team and a team representing the group of five and what a magnificent job Luke Fickle has done in Cincinnati, I think there's a real chance this game between Cincinnati and Alabama has the lowest rating we've ever seen in the college football playoff. Now, that would be good news if you want to see the expansion happen sooner than all of these reports that contractually nothing can happen for a minimum of three years, more likely five years which is all baffling to me, and that's why I want to talk to Andy Staples of The Athletic coming up at the top of the hour, because we know in any business, contracts are broken all the time, especially if there's a chance for both parties to make more money. So wouldn't there be an incentive? And I understand, because I'm in the college sports business, how polarizing expansion has become because of the fear that an expanded playoff would lead to one outcome— just more teams from the SEC. So you have that real division now with the alliance of the Pac-12 teaming up with the Big Ten and the ACC, and they have some academic alignment as well, saying, why don't we take our time? Why don't we allow the current contract to play itself out? Because what's the media landscape going to look like in three years? And wouldn't it be advantageous for everybody in college football To have more bidders than just ESPN. Amazon's jumping in with exclusive coverage of Thursday Night Football in the NFL starting next year. Well, what if Amazon, with their unlimited resources, wanted to get into the college football business? Wouldn't that be good for the Power Five? Because that's who we're talking about. Cincinnati is the outlier. They're the exception that proves the rule. This is a cartel, effectively. I don't want to get bogged down in minutia about economics here, but it is a group, talking about the college football playoff and the selection committee, the powers that be. It's a group that's designed to protect the interest of the big, powerful brands that we know, because the folks that run college football think that if we just go back to Alabama and Georgia and Ohio State and Oklahoma and Clemson, at least... Casual fans will know those big, powerful brands, and they'll be more inclined to watch. And for all of the hand-wringing about—and I'm guilty of it, too. You can follow me on Twitter, B.W. Weber, Weber with two Bs. There's just too much monotony in the Final Four. The same teams over and over again. Well, don't we miss Trevor Lawrence this year? Because when I threw out Bryce Young and if I did the pop quiz, try to name the other starting quarterbacks— It doesn't have the same kind of name recognition, the star power at the quarterback position. And then let's not overlook the, I think, ridiculous notion, just the blind pride from the college football playoff folks that in their own words, we can create a new tradition. Traditions can't be created. They're organic. They develop over time. But these folks thought, They were so out of touch. We're going to ram these games down your throat on New Year's Eve because we have to protect the integrity primarily of the Rose Bowl. Rose Bowl is not coming off what they have built for over a century, but really since the advent of TV and especially color TV. You know why so many people live here in Southern California for years in the late 50s and early 60s as they were freezing in – Nebraska, Minnesota, Michigan, Illinois, and watching the sunshine and palm trees in Pasadena, they said, what am I doing? Let's hop in the car and go to Beverly Hills. So the Rose Bowl really is the obstacle to shaking things up on a variety of levels. But since we're stuck with these games on New Year's Eve, I cannot come up with a compelling argument that says, especially given these teams... That people are going to say, you know, what's important to me? I've had a long year, and haven't we all? I finally made it to New Year's Eve. I'm aware of this COVID surge, but I'm going to pick something safe and responsible, and I have the ability to go out or at least hang out with family and friends. Do I want to plan my day around a college football game that starts at 3.30 Eastern time? Because as much as we love college football, many of you love to get your drink on even more. That is undefeated. As the Beastie Boys said, you have fought very hard for that right to party. So you put it all together. I don't find a lot of compelling components to these games. Now, that's me. That's my opinion. That's why I'm going to defer to Andy Staples of The Athletic when we bring him in to start the second hour of the show. But the only good byproduct of lousy ratings for these games should lead to much more of a longer view of why are we taking so long to expand the playoffs? Because you get more and different teams in there. You have more vested parties. I think the number should be eight, but... If you go to 12, there's even more money to be made. My concern is, if we get to a 12-team playoff, I'm not going to care who the 13th best team in the country is, and they better not claim. I know they will. It's human nature. But if you're team number 13 and you didn't get in, you did not get hosed by the selection committee. Four is an ideal number from the standpoint of real, genuine conversation. The debate, not the contrived talking head debate we see on TV. But the debate we had for decades in college football, back to the era in which we had divided national champs, split national champs between the AP and the UPI. Four is interesting because you get the real drama of five and six making strong arguments they should have been in there. For example, I don't think Alabama belonged in the top four early on, losing to Texas A&M and having near misses, like the Florida game. But the committee's quote-unquote wisdom was proven out by what Alabama did to Georgia in the SEC title game. Still, if you want to go conspiracy theory, you think it's just a coincidence that we have two SEC teams once more and the SEC is getting beat up in bowl season. But SEC honks will always say, well, our teams don't care. If they're not playing in a New Year's Six game or the college football playoff, What's their motivation? And that, in some ways, is the beauty of college football because we're so caught up in the emotions of schools we went to or schools we care about, sometimes it blinds our logic. One hour down, a couple big hours to get to. 1-844-204-RICH is the phone number. Conversation heating up on Twitter. That's B.W. Weber, Weber with two Bs. Straight ahead, we start the second hour of the program talking more college football with Andy Staples of The Athletic. I'm Brian Weber in for Rich on this New Year's Eve. It's the Rich Eisen Show.